Hello, I'm Chris Alvarez and welcome to Spacewalks Money Talks, where we talk about the business, policy, and technology behind space exploration and commercialization. We're on the web at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm speaking with Dr. George Sebastian, one of the co-authors of Low Earth Orbit Satellite Design. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you. Um, so first, uh, tell me about your background in the field of space. Well, I got a doctor's degree in electronics from MIT. And then over the next 28 years, I worked in the defense electronics industry, including large satellites. At some point in time, I started my own business. Mm -hmm. We built mostly surveillance systems, and we got into satellites more or less by accident. Mm -hmm. Over the next 10 years, we built about 34 satellites for various customers. We also built ground stations, and we operated some of the satellites for our customers. Our customers ranged from Air Force, Navy, NASA, and some foreign governments. Now, at what point did you get, are you into um, microsatellites? Is that the proper term? No. The satellites we built ranged from 150 to 200 pounds to about 3,000 pounds. Okay. The smallest ones we actually built weighed about 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. And they were for many different missions, ranging from communications to science, remote sensing, and so on. Now, this book, um, I see, you know, the, the blurb on the book, but in your own words, can you tell me what the uh, this book is about, what it focuses on? Yes, it focuses on the design of small, low-Earth orbit satellites. Not as small as CubeSats, but small. Mm-hmm. And it covers all aspects of the satellite hardware and software design. It covers the design of structures, electric power, attitude control, digital processing, communications, and thermal design. A chapter is devoted to each of these subjects, 21 chapters in total, including one that allows one to download design software. So now, considering how broad, um, how many topics this book covers, um, how would you say, what would you say its focus is on and that um, it can't hit everything in detail? So how, how do you sort of break it down? What do you specifically uh, aim at? I specifically aim at the hardware design. It does not really discuss how to design what the mission should be, nor what orbit altitude it should fly at. Those are assumed given. It is really for the design of hardware. Okay. Um, so what would you say currently, what are the challenges in, in space tech, business technology or policy um, that you're most concerned about and why? I think my main concern would be that with a number of different companies or entities entering the space business, which I think is in excess of a hundred, they all cannot possibly make a living. Also, there are a number of companies that want to build satellite constellations, 
for communications and remote sensing. So too many companies are in the business and they cannot all succeed. There will be a large fallout and it won't take too long for that to happen, probably in the next five to ten years. The companies will sharply decrease in number. So that leads to my um, sort of leads to my next question, which is um, as far as the the hardware design, how do you count? You know, pe- people talk about how uh, l- the low Earth orbit is getting becoming so crowded. Um, how how do you account, or do you need to account for maybe more debris in that area, or just a larger number of satellites? Is there any special preca- precautions needed? Well, it may be needed, but you can't. Maybe new technology is needed. I believe the Naval Space Surveillance System tracks on the order of some 10,000 objects, which range from small spent boosters to specks of paint. And when you add to this number, the number of satellites that are planned, several thousand, then there will be a crowded space. However, that does not mean that the probability of collision will be very high. Space is huge. The government is now requiring that you deorbit satellites when they finish their missions. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a tall order because it increases the size and cost of the satellites tremendously. And most of these satellites do not have too much redundancy in hardware and software. So the satellites basically just crap out. So you cannot deorbit it because it is dead. Hmm. You could deorbit large satellites, which usually have a lot of redundancy, but you probably cannot do it with small satellites. Interesting. So, um, so talking about going back to the hardware design, um, have there been any innovations in say the last five or 10 years? Um, has this explosive interest, um, I guess it's always been a strong interest, but it seems that more and more people are getting into, into this. Um, have you seen any big advances te- technologically? Well, yes. I don't know about big, but significant. Mm-hmm. For instance, solar cells. Efficiencies 20 years ago used to be in the teens, say 15 to 17% efficient. Today, they are 28% efficient, so they are twice as efficient, so that one would require half as large an area and a smaller structure. Another area is attitude control. The attitude control needed for imaging satellites needs to be fantastic. And while you could buy such attitude control system hardware, the cost was sort of a million dollars a piece. Today you can buy a 3-axis attitude control system for less than $100,000 that achieves more or less the same kind of accuracy. And these advances, both the 3-axis stabilization and just because the need arose, resulted in tremendous changes in satellite hardware construction technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, your book addresses these things, I assume? Well, it does not address the evolution, but it does address how they work. 
that's yes i'm sorry that's the question um i meant to ask that your your book talks about uh current designs um in, in those respects yes current designs so i noticed also your book um it it pointedly mentions universities you know this book helps universities among others um uh design satellites are there certain are universities cust and and similar customers do they need to um watch their budget closely when they design satellite absolutely they usually have no money mm -hmm. so they are restricted to building very small satellites they build cube sets for which there is a definition of the size of the structure that it needs to be and because they are small they don't cost much you know satellite costs are basically cost by the pound so a small cube set could cost below $100,000. And universities typically collect freebies from industry, so that helps their budgets also. Mm -hmm. So what other, um, what other designers would, uh, would find this book useful? Who else is it aimed at? It is primarily aimed at the design engineers who work in companies that build spacecraft. Mm -hmm. That is the focus. There are books that cover how to construct satellite missions, that is, how to decide what orbits to go into to achieve a certain purpose. This book strictly covers only the hardware aspects, the hardware and software. And software as well? Yes. Okay. So how much does the book... Again, I, I understand it's just about the satellite itself, but um, how much does it touch on ground communication issues, um, the hardware and software? Quite a bit. Satellite-to-ground communications is one of the main factors in satellite design, and it is one of the difficult ones. You usually do not have enough bandwidth to achieve the desired data rates. You do not have large antennas, for satellites are small, and you are not allowed to transmit more power or else you exceed the RF illumination density established by the FCC. So there are counterproductive productive aspects that make it difficult to design a high bandwidth communication system. Mm -hmm. Are there um, any aspects of um, a satellite's design that you think perhaps people don't focus on enough or that you'd like to see more of a, an emphasis on in any way? Reliability. These small satellites tend to be what we call single-thread satellites. In other words, there is no redundancy. As a result, lifetimes are short. While the satellites cost less, they also don't live very long, so the cost per year is not all that low. So you need to focus on how to improve the reliability and radiation hardening without incurring the high cost of high radiation tolerant components. I, I don't know how much you get into this or how much you're aware of this, but... Um material science are there any new materials being developed that um that really help with satellite design i don't really know there are some 3d printed structures 
that some people have used, but that doesn't really save that much. However, in the area of new propulsion systems for small satellites, there are considerable advances. Are you talking about technologies to orient the satellite once it's in orbit or uh, during launch? To orient it while it is in orbit or to make up drag so it doesn't deorbit. Okay. That's actually my next question. I, I was hoping you would uh, you could discuss it with a little bit more detail um, those technologies you use to adjust um, a satellite's orientation and their, their flight path. Most of the satellite orientation is performed by the attitude control system, which has reaction wheels or gyros, typically one to three gyros. When you accelerate one, the satellite starts to turn in the opposite direction. That is how you orient it. Propulsion systems are used mostly for station keeping. If you have a constellation and want to maintain the relative positions of satellites, or you need to reach your assigned position from where the launch vehicle left you off. These maneuvers require more energetic propulsion systems. Typically a small satellite used to use use cold gas nitrogen propulsion systems. Bigger satellites or larger energy requirements are filled by liquid hydrogen systems. These are the traditional propulsion systems that have been used. But now, electric propulsion is starting to come into play, as well as other chemicals. The field is very fluid, and it will be a number of years before this all shakes out. Mm -hmm. So right now, I assume it's... um it's still sort of in the testing phase and kind of expensive um, if you were to implement these new technologies. And these typically provide smaller impulse, so they require longer burn times. Mm -hmm. um, I'll go back a little bit to um, sort of some policy-type questions. Do you see any challenges in the efficient design of, of satellites uh, that could easily be fixed or addressed either by uh, by business or government, um, you know, maybe any kind of uh, regulations? Well, I don't see at the moment that regulations impede satellite design too much. There are a few things, obviously, frequency allocation imposed by the FCC is one. The spectrum is limited. And if you have too many satellites, they all want to talk, and their footprints overlap on the Earth. So there's a serious RFI, radio frequency interference, issue. So there must be some way to regulate them. So that's one of the regulation issues. The other is mitigation of the number of objects in space to avoid collisions. Objects live for decades. You cannot continue to launch hundreds and hundreds of satellites each year without eventually getting to the point where there is a real problem. Are you, how much familiarity do you have with the research into sort of debris cleaning um, technologies, you know, sending maybe satellites out there to, to clean up after other satellites? Is that still, you know, far in the future or do, how close do you think 
people are to, to that sort of technology? Frankly, I don't know. What I know about it is that it is going to be a very difficult task. How about the use of radioactive materials in satellites? I actually don't know if they're used at all for anything. I know that some they're used in, in, in some space uh, endeavors, but um, I don't know. Can you discuss that? Well, the only radioactive materials used in space are in nuclear power plants that were used in deep sea, deep space missions, not used in low Earth orbit. In deep space missions, where you really cannot use solar arrays, people have used nuclear power plants. Now, has anyone ever uh, suggested using any kind of radioactive um, fuel for for low Earth orbits, or is that would that be technically just um, unsound? Not that I'm aware of. I don't know of any nuclear power propulsion systems. I know of nuclear power generating systems. Mm-hmm. And and I say that because I know there's there are restrictions on you know sending uh, nuclear material up into space, um, and I'm just wondering if there are any people arguing to um to get rid of regulation or or reduce regulation as as far as that goes, and in some way it it, it will help with uh, satellite design. So far, it has not impeded satellite design. We don't really need it. Okay. What excites you about um, satellites and, and space? You know, what, what do you see as the next big thing, maybe? I think satellite constellations for remote sensing is probably the next big thing. I don't know how many of those now proposed will actually be built. I know that SpaceX, with their planned Internet in space, is very ambitious and they also have money. They have launched so far a fair number of precursor satellites towards establishing a constellation. Several smaller companies or new startups that have proposed constellations probably won't be able to get enough funding to actually build them. One of the issues is that going into the satellite business to build satellites is not usually profitable. The satellite builder does not get rich. The fellow who uses the satellites for some good application is more likely to get rich. I always have been in in the building end and did pretty well, but I have never been the user of any of my own satellites. Could you imagine a future um, consolidation of space uh, satellite construction business to where someone, you know, someone could try to monopolize sort of some part of it or or try to get rich in some way? We started out with a consolidated situation where there were only large satellites. There were only four or five companies in the country and maybe a total of six or eight in the world that built satellites. Today there are hundreds that are trying. Some will succeed but most are in the planning stages at this point and will most likely fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems, you know, when I look at this, you know, new space, as they call it, you know, it's it seems like there's an inc- incredible amount of speculative money going into it. Um, but, 
There's, there's not, like you said, there aren't going to be many survivors at the end of it. So I'm just kind of fascinated at the number of people who are willing to, to take that gamble. Look at the start dates of the new starts. In the 90s, say in the year 1995 or so, there were only about one or two companies a year that started. Then, starting about 2013, the number of new starts ranged from 30 to 50 each year. So you now have something like a couple of hundred organizations meddling in satellites. There is no way that all of them could survive. So just to turn quickly to uh, to government, uh, federal federal funding for um, satellite design. You know, when NASA, in the early days of NASA, they developed new technologies and then they were pushed out to the commercial sector who could uh, make use of them. Is there, as far as low Earth orbit satellite design, is there anything, is is NASA or any other, in, um, some other nation's um, space agency, are they developing any new technologies that can go out to the commercial sector, or is it all basically the commercial sector doing the, the advancement now, do you think? Yes, for instance, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, funds usually pretty far out technology with an intent to be used by services or by commercial entities. I got my initial funding from DARPA also. Mm -hmm. And that uh, that sort of, sort of kick-started what, what went on afterwards, your progression, your, your professional progression. Yes. First were DARPA-funded satellites for specific uses needed by the government, and then later other government agencies continued to buy satellites for different purposes, not necessarily based on the same technologies. Is China? Do you think China is developing uh, satellites? Or do you, can you imagine China developing new technologies, satellite technologies that um, that they might not share with others and, and maybe establish some sort of dominance in some way? some aspect of satellite design? Well, China has an indigenous launch and satellite building capability. For instance, they have the capability to go to the moon. Now, during the development of these things, they will probably develop new technology if needed and if it has to be invented. So I wouldn't put it past it. It's quite possible. So where can people find you on the web or, or maybe your other authors? Alex Chukra is the person who wrote the chapter on thermal design. He is an independent consultant, although he works mostly for NASA. Nick Galassi wrote the chapter on structures. He is also an independent consultant, but he also works for NASA most of the time. The guidance and control chapter was written by Steve Fujikawa, who had his own company. He is now the chief technical officer of the company he had. He is a guidance and control specialist. I wrote the 18 other chapters. I had my own company building satellites. I sold it. Then I started to consult. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have. Do you have any last thoughts or words? No, other than perhaps that the hype of small satellites 
of the last few years has generated a number of companies and many young people getting into the field. I think that eventually the number of people in the satellite business will exceed the requirement. While this won't happen for another five to ten years, I would be very careful getting into the satellite business. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, uh, I thank you very much for speaking with me. It was, it was quite enlightening. Thank you for listening. The best way to support this podcast is to rate it on Apple Podcasts. You can get more information at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. You can also follow us on YouTube at Spacewalks Money Talks, on Instagram at Spacewalks Money Talks, on Facebook at Spacewalks Money Talks, or on Twitter at Spacewalks MT. Thank you for listening.